the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am Leah Heigl and I am here with my co-host Aiden Muir and today we're talking all things fat loss plateaus and how to actually overcome them when you hit them. So the first thing we really need to identify to address how to overcome these plateaus is why do they occur? And the biggest thing that becomes pretty obvious when you spend time thinking about this concept is it's usually... It's usually not one thing. It's usually not just one variable that leads to it. We, we like to simplify things and we like to pinpoint one thing, but it's usually not one thing. So I want to list, list a couple of things. So one of them is let's say you find a, an amount of calories or whatever or dietary approach that works for you. Theoretically, without even taking into account any other variables, it could only work for so long because if your diet, quote unquote, is successful and you lose weight and you drop size, you get smaller, you burn less calories just through that because as we're larger, we have to burn more calories, even just like maintaining muscle mass, maintaining body fat, um, moving around. Obviously, if you do the exact same movements, you're burning more calories at a higher body weight, um, all those kind of things. Getting smaller burns less calories. So if you were once at the start, if you were at a 500 calorie deficit, as you got smaller, that would drop down to a 400 calorie, then 300, 200, and theoretically very, very slowly get down to zero. Obviously, that's never the explanation by itself, but that is a factor. If somebody has a long weight loss journey, that becomes an even more important factor if they lose a lot of weight. Um, what would you say is another factor? Um, so something that really is worth discussing that I don't think is necessarily going to be a huge part of this, but something worth mentioning is metabolic adaptation. So the longer you are in a calorie deficit, the more your body does adapt to that deficit in that it's down regulating some processes in your body so that you literally burn less energy. So we're not exactly sure, you know, how much metabolic adaptation is equivalent to, you know, a certain calorie deficit or a certain length of time, but we know over time it does occur. Um, and then with that reduction in overall calorie expenditure it's reducing your calorie deficit may not eliminate it completely but maybe a piece of the puzzle yeah and that's the biggest way to put it is likely a piece of the puzzle for most people it usually isn't a big factor like a number that i like to chuck out there because i saw it in the research somewhere is it seems to be like for somebody who goes on like an eight-week diet we'd expect like a 150 calorie reduction due to metabolic adaptation but that's like the reason why I'm so comfortable chucking out a number that's not like a super specific or whatever being like this comes from this study or whatever is because it's so variable. It's so variable between people. If you actually look at the numbers in these studies, there are people, there are participants in these studies who their, like their energy expenditure increases while they're in a calorie deficit. And then there's others who decrease by like 500 or whatever. Like it's pretty variable. But for almost most, for almost all cases, it's just a small decrease that needs to be factored in. So like say, just looking from that angle, like maybe you get a little bit smaller, that takes away 100 calories or 200 calories or 300. Metabolic adaptation takes away another 200 or whatever. That could erase a 500 calorie deficit. Usually it's not even just those two factors. So it's usually, usually more. more. Than that. <laughs> so what are some other factors? Like another factor that is a big one for most people is changes in habits. So starting off with a common one, and like I... I, it's easier for me to say this over podcast form or writing or whatever. It's harder to talk about this with a person, I think, because it's kind of like a lot of people are like, no, I'm doing the same thing I did at the start of the time. But it's like there's so many variables in this. You're never doing exactly the same thing. Like your habits do change over time. But like 
One of the big things that I think is particularly relevant is as a diet progresses, assuming you stick in a calorie deficit, typically you get hungrier, which therefore means if you even eat remotely based on your appetite, which most people do, and in a lot of cases, a lot of people should do that, um, you will eat more calories without even thinking about it. Like if you normally eat to the point that you're 20% away from as stuffed full as you could get or something like that as an example, and then you've been in a calorie deficit for eight weeks, that 20% away from as stuffed full as you could comfortably manage is going to be more calories. Um, it's quite easy to eat 10%, 20% more calories without even thinking about it, adding an extra snack, maybe larger meals or whatever. And the other thing on that perspective is that's like hunger hormones or whatever. There's also the restriction of dieting. Do you then like want certain foods more due to the restriction or whatever? There's also changes in exercise habits, which also comes back into the novelty of all of this. What if you've got a longer diet and at the start there was a bit of novelty and you're like trying really hard and then as it progresses and becomes more of a quote unquote like lifestyle or whatever and you're like, well, in my lifestyle I need to fit other things in, maybe you don't do everything to a T to the exact thing. And like that's just like a broad overview. That's a very, very, very broad topic. But like whether or not it's changing in terms of that way or changing in a different way or whatever, habits do change over time for almost everybody. So that's something to be aware of. We've also got changes in incidental movement potentially. Yeah. So things like if you were you know, eating at maintenance calories and you're someone that fidgets all the time and that's burning a fair amount of calories, even if you don't know it. Um, and then as soon as you enter a calorie deficit, you subconsciously stop fidgeting. Yeah. So all those kinds of incidental things, so even things like maybe you're less likely to take the stairs, maybe you're less likely to stand at your standing desk at work and you'd rather sit down. So all of those things that just in our day-to-day -day life burn calories, some people are less likely to do in a calorie deficit. Yeah, and like I often use bodybuilding as an example in terms of contest preparation because I view it as like the most extreme form of dieting because people are in a relatively efficient fashion, trying to get incredibly lean, like excessively lean in a lot of cases, but it's like they're trying to get quite, quite lean. And when you watch bodybuilders, like particularly like fitness influencers and stuff like that, if they're, if they're four weeks out from stage, they're less animated in their videos. They're moving less, like they're blinking slower. And like a lot of them will talk about the fact that like four weeks out from prep, there's like zombies, like they're like, I get up and train, like I do my training. I'm never going to miss my training, but then I just don't move for the rest of the day. Yeah. Unless, which brings up a key point that I actually think is, is a very interesting idea, is a step target. Like this is one way to partly offset the incidental movement thing. It doesn't change how much you fidget or like these other incidental things, but if somebody has a baseline step target of aiming for, like I aim for 10,000 steps a day or whatever, it actually controls for this a little bit better because like as an example that you talked about like maybe you choose not to take the stairs or whatever somebody who's like oh, i've got a step target i've got to get this amount views it the same as they view their training where they're like mm -hmm. i've got to do this and they might do that i actually personally don't get my clients to do a step target just because there's a lot of reasons like firstly i'm, I'm a big fan of efficiency and i'm like oh if somebody's a busy person <laughs> i'd yeah. rather them do a more efficient way of like if it's solely for the purpose of burning calories like um which is what we're talking about with this conversation obviously there's other health benefits and stuff like that I don't actually do a step target, but it's such an interesting idea, particularly when we talk about this concept of incidental movement decreasing as you diet for longer. For people that come to me and are already tracking steps, because a lot of people do like have yeah, Apple Watches and stuff, um, and they're like really into tracking mm. their steps. I'm like, hey, why don't we just try to like, what are you what are you hitting now? Mm. Let's try to maintain that level. Say it was 7,000 steps mm. a day. Let's try to maintain that throughout this whole dieting process. So sometimes I do use it, but yeah, it's not like 
yeah. go-to thing. I think it's really useful. It's just like it's just like one yeah. of the tools that I just personally don't use. It like I just think it's like the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like that is a really good thing. Super useful. Yeah, yeah. So, what can you actually do if you've hit a weight loss plateau? Where do you start? So, when a plateau has occurred, um, and it's maybe due to the fact that your adherence to the diet is not quite as good as when you started, uh, for whatever reason. These are the some, some things that you can probably look at. So the first thing is really obvious and that's kind of tightening things up again. Yeah. So things that we let slip over time as that motivation kind of drops off. Um, so things like if you're tracking calories, tracking more accurately. Because I find the longer someone tracks calories when they're dieting, the less likely they are to track everything they eat the more likely they are to eat out a few more times a week and that's harder to track. Um, excess grazing and snacking along the way that's not accounted for um, and all those things that you weren't doing at the start of your diet and have kind of like unknowingly creeped back in. So you could look at those habits and really try to tighten that up. And I hate to be that person that's like advocates for more. meticulous tracking yeah. and like being really intense about things and I'm definitely not saying like go to 100% like that way but slightly t like tightening things up could definitely assist in putting you back into a calorie deficit um, and then I guess the flip side to that is if your lack of adherence to your plan isn't because you just let a few things slip over the time but it's literally because you're so hungry that you just need to eat um, and your cravings are out of control, your desire to eat is huge, maybe you're emotionally or physically exhausted from the process of dieting, then I'd say it's probably time for a diet break. So even outside of metabolic adaptation, so we know that diet breaks, when they're long enough, may help to eliminate some of that metabolic adaptation. But outside of that, the best thing about diet breaks is when you're on that, that higher calorie amount, it resets your desire to eat and your hunger cues. So even two weeks at maintenance calories could be enough to just reset everything for you to have another like red hot go at that calorie deficit. Yeah. And on that topic, because like that, that is, that's one of my go-to moves. I do like that. Another idea is also playing around with your calorie target. And like, I feel like almost everybody listens to this is going to go, I might decrease it rather than increase it. Like most people aren't that patient, but like, and like that is a valid option in some cases as well. But another idea is it's like, well, what if you're aiming for like a 1000 plus calorie deficit and you're in a large deficit and like, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard because it is hard. Um, what if going to a smaller calorie deficit means you make consistent progress, but you also just feel much better throughout the process as well. Um, diet breaks is one option and like, Particularly, like, it's hard because even if you're in, like, a small to moderate calorie deficit long periods of time, that still creates issues as well. Like, that still leads to a lot of these same things down the line as well. So, it's like, diet breaks are still going to be valid even for that, just maybe less frequently or whatever. But that's where I'm getting at with, like, playing around with options. Like, some people thrive on, like, a little bit more aggressive diets, getting it over a little bit quicker, and then moving to maintenance calories after. Some people do well with just a small calorie deficit, and they're like, Love it because it's like I'm making progress and feel good like most of the time. Yeah. And I guess there's like pros and cons to both, right? I yeah. think particularly for like the small calorie deficits, it allows you to have more of a balanced lifestyle in that yeah. maybe you can go out and eat once or twice a week and maybe you don't have to be as stringent with tracking and stuff like that and still make progress. But at the same time, it's easier to like eradicate that calorie deficit yeah. the smaller it is. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Another strategy that is 
not nutrition related, but exercise related. It could be increasing exercise as well, just in general. It depends on where you're at though. Like I, particularly for people who are athletes and stuff like that, I'm a big believer in that you just train however is optimal for your sport. You don't think about it from a calorie perspective and then we sort your diet out around the training. So like elaborating on that a little bit more, if somebody is taking their sport incredibly seriously, they're already training in this threshold, which is like, this is the threshold to be at going above this, overtraining going below this under training that's where the threshold is um that person we can't just add more exercise to like maybe we could do more steps or maybe we could do a few things around that but like we can't really play around with too much but if somebody is not near that threshold if they're well below this like risk of overtraining threshold so like most people are below this threshold it's like okay maybe there is an option to add a little bit more exercise into here as well which could be a factor i don't like the idea of exercising for the purpose of like burning calories mm-hmm. or whatever um but it is one variable that could be interesting. And I find that particularly for people who find themselves on lower calories, it becomes even more kind of relevant because it's kind of like the example I often use is say I have maintenance calories of 3000 calories and I go out for dinner one night or something like that. And the meal is 800 calories for me, nothing <laughs> like that's easy. Like that's like, I can have a normal day's intake outside, outside of that. But say somebody is in a calorie deficit and they're aiming like they're smaller and they're less active and they're aiming for say 1,600 calories or below that is quite literally half their intake gone in that one meal and they can't have two normal sized meals and some snacks around that. Yeah. So it's like either they go over their calories for the day, which is completely fine. Obviously you can adjust around that. Um, or they try to restrict down to that calorie target and like they have to cut something else out and make it not a normal day or they can't eat out. And, or if they do eat out, they've got to like reduce what they're getting out. Um, what if that same person adds an additional 200 calories per day on average through exercise suddenly instead of say 1,600 it's 1,800 and like got a little bit more room for stuff like that it doesn't solve it but like it like helps a little bit a little bit I find this like it's a really good intervention particularly for people who are like a desk workers like Mm. so they're really really sedentary okay maybe they're doing um a couple of like training sessions a week not for any particular sport um maybe they do have room just to generally increase their exercise and that is going to make maintaining that deficit a lot easier just adding like three 20 minute walks in a week so i think it can be an effective solution sometimes yeah another idea that i've got and this is like not one of my best takes like it's just like it's just an idea to consider is particularly if adherence is a struggle sometimes changing your meal frequency is an idea to play around with like if you're somebody who always has three meals maybe you do try that like six small meals approach if you're somebody who's never tried intermittent fasting but you've always struggled with dieting maybe maybe it's an idea to consider and just be like like we know that's not fasting that's magical but it's like what if having a smaller eating window maybe that reduces how many calories you incidentally want to eat or whatever um playing around with that is is an idea because like as mentioned none of that's magical but it could instantly change how many calories you actually want to eat as well yeah going super anecdotal like personal preference is whenever i'm in a calorie deficit i don't have breakfast yeah or i'll have like a piece of fruit and a cup of soy milk for breakfast because i'm just i can go without calories in the morning um and then i can have a really nice big lunch and a good pre-training snack uh, works great for me, but for other people, yeah. they might find that their hunger is so out of control by lunchtime that they go like balls to the wall and yeah. eat, you know, 2000 calories in a meal. So it's definitely different strokes for different folks. And like, that's exactly what I'm getting at with the wording of like play around of it. Like literally yeah. just find what works for you. And like, I also go into it with an open mind. Like a lot of people make assumptions 
about what works for them when they haven't necessarily tried it. Like um, there is examples, like people will say things like, I, I need a more substantial morning tea snack. But it's also like, well, I don't know, like there are people out there who are just like not eating for until like a certain time. It's like, if you haven't tried that approach, like how do you, how do you know? Um, but yeah, it's an idea to play around with. And the last tip I've got, we were, we were actually just talking very quickly off air, like being like, is there anything we've missed? And like, I just thought about like, there's one very obvious thing that we have missed. And it's like quite literally adjusting your plan and lowering yeah. your calorie intake. Like it's pretty, it's pretty clear. That, and like, like, don't get me wrong. Like what if you don't have, if you don't have much room to drop it by or whatever, like there's probably a lot of these other factors that we just talked about matter probably significantly more than this. But like, there is a possibility that like your plan is just too many calories or also adherence to the plan. Like maybe you accidentally eat 200 calories more on average than what your plan is. And in some cases, reducing your calorie intake still results in you eating just 200 calories more than your plan or whatever. Um, If you have less planned calories you eat and you kind of adhere relatively closely to that, you are creating that calorie deficit and overcoming that plateau. On that 200 calories over the plan kind of thing, that was like, that's not relevant to this plateau thing, but something I found working with people where it's like, Sometimes you like I'll set like macronutrient targets or whatever in my mm-hmm. fitness pal, and no matter what the targets I set, if it's in a deficit, they will go the same amount over. As in, it's like if it's like say we're aiming for two thousand calories, I eat two thousand two hundred, and we change it to one thousand eight hundred, they'll eat two thousand on average, and it's just like yes, a thing. It's just totally. like yeah. And I think as long as you're doing that, whatever you're doing, and you're doing it consistently, it doesn't really matter. You can just adjust from where you are sitting. Mm. I would worry about the n- specific numbers less. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the last tip we have, like actually just re-looking at your plan and being like, if we've been through everything and we're like, okay, metabolic adaptation can be a thing, incidental movement can be a thing, getting smaller can reduce your calorie needs. Like this is a possibility. There has been people I've worked with who it's like quite literally been like, we just reduce the calories in the plan and it solves it. Yeah, I guess bottom line is, is most people usually go to reducing calorie intake as being the first port of call, but it's not the only It's option. why we almost forgot it. It's, it's why like, it's so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of like all the other options that you could potentially kind of look at before going to that one. But yeah, obviously it's still part of this conversation. Yeah. So this has been episode 38 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. If you could leave a rating and a review, that would be super appreciated. Um, Otherwise, thank you for tuning in.